What's the cost for being different in today's marketplace of ideas? The Texas Rangers do not have a Pride Night. And, uh, you know, the LGBTQ community has noticed and uh, has uh, taken them to task on that. And how can we use apologetics to defend the truth about how we're made? If they're going to say that gender and sex are two different things, then why would they say sex is assigned at birth? Because we all know it isn't. We all know it's part of the biology. Plus, what's a good strategy for parents in teaching about gender? The value that their body has lies in the fact that it is a creation of God. And so that's really what we need to be teaching our children. It's the weekend of September 16th and 17th. I'm Jeff Shambly, and this is The Stand Radio. recognized yesterday uh, I made a post that was hurtful to the Pride community, which includes friends of mine and close family members of mine, and I am truly sorry for that. That's former Toronto Blue Jays relief pitcher Anthony Bass making an official apology. Why was that? Well, he shared a social media video that encouraged Christians to boycott Target and Bud Light for promoting the sexual revolution. Well, there was a big backlash from LGBTQ supporters and the team, and not long after that, he was let go. American Family News Associate Editor Parrish Alford joins us to explain what happened. Parrish? Well, I'll tell you, just reading a little bit about it, it was, you know, it's kind of like Anthony Bass kind of bit off more than he could chew. I mean, I think in this day and age, I mean, you really have to not... Um, I'm going to say be careful, not to the sense that you don't take a stand and don't make statements, but I think you need to anticipate. Mm-hmm. I think you need to be aware of the type of backlash you're going to receive. We we have seen this so many times uh, from the LGBTQ group and in our culture. They're going to respond. Right. And uh, we see corporations, and in this case uh, sports teams, bending to that pressure. But uh, in the case of Anthony Bass, you know, he kind of had a little bit of history. He had had a, you know, an, an issue before where he'd gotten messed up uh, on social media, uh, posting a video where he called out an airline stewardess mm-hmm. uh, over a confrontation with his wife and child and some popcorn on the floor. It was just a real bizarre thing. But in this case, he said, "This is uh, this is wrong. This is not biblical." Uh, it was, you know, he was basically calling for a boycott. Mm-hmm of Target and Bud Light over their LGBTQ positions that made a lot of news uh, in the spring and summer. Uh, And the Blue Jays didn't like that. And uh, they required him to apologize. He gave a half-hearted apology. And not long after that, he was released. Parish Major League Baseball also is uh, involved in Pride Night, but there's a there's a little difference in some of the teams. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know there are 30 teams. 29 of them have a Pride Night. You know that's full regular season MLB when when June comes around. Big month, big month for MLB. The Texas Rangers do not have a Pride Night, and they've taken some flack for that. It hasn't been just this year. It's not like they had one and, and then pulled it and. And, uh, and and didn't have it this year, uh, but they've not really come out and publicly stated uh, why they've uh, chosen that path. The other thing I found interesting was um, they do have 
several initiatives uh, supporting Christian universities in Texas. So the Rangers have that relationship with some Christian schools. Uh, they do not have a Pride Night, and uh, you know the LGBTQ community has noticed and uh, has uh, taken them to task on that. But uh, that's that's their stance right now. One more thing: when you have a sports franchise, uh, a team, what is the product that that business is selling? Is it the game or is it the player? You know what? I think the product is entertainment. You want to go to the ballpark, especially in the summer when, you know, uh, it dials back a little bit and, and maybe there's not as much going on at work and you get out there and, you know, and it's warm and the sun's going down and and uh, you, you just want to relax and, and you just don't want the stress of the workplace. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's kind of about being there, being with family and friends and, and uh, you know, I, I think it's it's a social Mm-hmm. outlet as much as it is anything else. Well, it would be nice to get back to that, wouldn't it? It would. All right. Thanks, Parrish, so much. Up next, using apologetics to answer questions about gender. A survey conducted by LifeWay Research indicates a growing change in the way people think about gender. Scott McConnell is the executive director of LifeWay Research, and he says that, quote, a majority of Americans reject the view of a creator giving them a gender that shouldn't be changed, close quote. That statement presents a challenge and an opportunity for believers to make some powerful arguments about how we are created. Dr. Frank Turek is the president of crossexamined.org and the author of the book, Correct, Not Politically Correct. And he's with us today to share some misconceptions about gender and how we as Christians can help point people to the truth. Frank, thanks for being with us today. Hey, thanks for having me on, Jeff. In the article that you've written in the current issue of The Stand, you write that gender dysphoria could not exist without two fixed genders. Could you explain that for us? Sure. I I mean, on one hand, the gender ideologues are trying to say that uh, there are no fixed genders, that everything's fluid. On the other hand, they have to unwittingly assume there are only two fixed genders for these couple of reasons. Reason number one, if I'm a man and I think I'm a woman, I have to have some idea what a man is and some idea what a woman is to know that I have this gender dysphoria, because if I couldn't know what a man was or what a woman was, I couldn't know I had it. (laughs) Secondly, in order for me to try and make the so-called transition from being a man to being a woman, which is biologically impossible, by the way, but some people still try it, I have to have some idea of what a man is and some idea what a woman is to actually try and make that transition. If there were no such thing as a man or a woman, transgenderism would be impossible. Well, it actually is impossible, but I mean, their ideology tries to say this is possible. The only way it could be possible is if you knew what a man and a woman was. So on one hand, they're trying to say gender is completely fluid. On the other hand, they have to unwittingly assume there are only two genders. And by the way, another reason you could say, Jeff, is the fact that if you look at the whole mammalian world, which of course includes human beings, you can only produce one of two things. You can either produce a sperm or an egg. There's no third category. We know there are people that can't produce either, but that's an incapacity. That's not a third capacity. 
So the whole mammalian world, by design, cries out that there are only two genders. You can either produce a sperm or an egg. There's no third, fourth, fifth, or sixth, or, or any other category. There's just two. Mm-hmm. So when people say that uh, gender and sex are two different things, um, what do they mean by that, if, if biology is so clear? Well, they're trying to say that uh, sex is your biology and gender is what you think okay. your identity is. And that's, that's why they draw a line between sex and, and, and uh, gender. The problem is, is they'll say these two things are completely different. Uh, If that were the case, why are they always trying to align their biology with what their gender is, which which by their definition is just whatever they think they are? If these two things are completely different, then you ought not try and change your biology to align with your gender. I mean, if if biologically I'm a man, Jeff, and yet I think I'm a woman uh, gender wise, uh, but these two things are completely unrelated. Why would I try and change my biology to be a woman? We know it's impossible, but why would I try it anyway? Because there is a connection between these two things. That If there wasn't a connection, there would be no such thing as gender dysphoria. There would be uh, transgenderism wouldn't be a thing. Mm-hmm. The reason it is a thing is they're trying to align what their minds say with what their body actually says. And look, if I'm a man, Jeff, and I think I'm a woman, why do I think my body is wrong? Mm-hmm. Why not think my mind is wrong? I mean... Why, why would I say I'm a woman trapped in a man's body? It would be more accurate to say, if it's true at all, for me to say I'm a man enveloping a woman's mind. Right. If that were the case, the way I could fix the problem would be to change my mind. We know it's impossible to change your biology, but it's not impossible to change your mind. Gender dysphoria, like anorexia, which is a parallel to this, should be treated with psychiatry, not surgery. Mm-hmm. We would never say to an anorexic, you know, you're right, you're dangerously overweight, let me give you a liposuction. You know, we would say, uh, honey, I'm sorry, your mind is playing tricks on you. Uh, we have to get you nutrition. We would never affirm a person's uh, dysphoria when it comes to anorexia. Why are we doing it now when it comes to gender? Yeah. Because sex, of course, as you know, is the new religion. You can't you can't in any way you say anybody's wrong about anything regarding sex in our country now. And that's just the way the culture is. So you hit on that. This is a religious uh, issue, isn't it? I mean, you can't point to biology. The logic falls apart. It has to be a religious issue. Sure. Well, they might not term it religious, but if you define religion as someone's ultimate commitment, mm-hmm. it is an ultimate commitment for many people. Yeah. They think they have the right to try and change reality to fit their desires but the truth of the matter is we need to change our desires to fit reality because we are not god we can't change reality uh so instead of trying to change reality to fit our desires we ought to change our desires to fit reality that's what wisdom does and by the way that seems to be the dividing line generally between people who call themselves conservatives who want to conserve what we know is true versus the people that are on the left side of the issue trying to say, well, we're just going to try and change reality to fit our desires. No, the conservative and proper view is to try and change our desires to fit reality because we know what is right and true. One of the things you write about in your article, Five Fatal Flaws in Transgender Ideology in the Stan Magazine, is that people argue that sex is assigned, quote, at birth. What's wrong with that argument? 
Well, we all know it's nonsense, Jeff. I mean, when, when a baby comes out, the, the doctor doesn't arbitrarily go, should I call this a, a boy or a girl? I mean, you just look at the baby and you know what it is. And by the way, in most cases now, it's, it's discovered, and it's not even discovered at birth. It's discovered long before that through either uh, you know, some kind of test, whether it's an ultrasound or something else. Most people know what they're going to have before they have the baby. Mm-hmm. So it's not assigned at birth. It's discovered at birth sometimes before. So the only way the ideologues can get people to uh, try and uh, agree with their position is to try and change in their minds what they actually already know is true, that there are just boys and girls, there are just men and women, and they have to come up with the most inane arguments that sex is assigned at birth. And and by the way, this goes back to the problem we talked about earlier, if they're going to say that gender and sex are two different things, you know, sex is your biology and gender is what you think your biology is, then why would they say sex is assigned at birth? Because we all know it isn't. We all know it's part of the biology. So it's, this is so inconsistent. It should make most liberals blush. That's how inconsistent it is. Frank, one of the things I love about your ministry is that you go to college campuses and you are really on the front lines in, in talking about these issues with young people. What are some of the biggest false assumptions that you hear regarding gender and sexuality on the college campus? Well, some of them we already covered. Um, another is the idea that what you think about in your mind is what you really are. And we know that's not true, Jeff, because if you were what you thought you were or what you think about most, most men would be women and most women would be chocolate. (laughs) So you're not what you think about. Okay. (laughs) Although, you know, there is a sense in which that's true from a a, a Christian perspective, because, uh, from a Christian perspective, which I think is the true perspective, that if you accept Christ as your Savior, if you not just believe that he's the Savior, but trust in him, yeah. then you have become a child of God, and you, you are an heir to the throne. In other words, you are forgiven, and you will be given Christ's righteousness. So to a certain extent, it is true that your identity comes from what you think about, but not just what you think about, what you accept, what you embrace. Who do you trust? Do you trust Christ for what he's done? If you do, then you're not only forgiven, you're going to be given his righteousness. And since yeah. there's such an identity crisis in our culture today, Jeff, I think it's important to point out that Christianity is the only worldview where you do not achieve your identity, you receive your identity. Wow, that's good. There's nothing you do to achieve it. If you have to achieve it, A, all the pressure's on you. B, there's always somebody that can do it better. C, you're never going to be satisfied because you're not quite sure if you've gotten there. But if you just receive it as a gift, all the pressure's off, and you mm. can't lose it because it's, it doesn't depend on you. Yeah, it depends yeah. on what Christ has done. Yeah, that's so. Uh, it is a freeing. Uh, it is a freeing worldview, not a not a restrictive worldview. Mm. Uh, let's close out by talking about some uh, simple concepts that parents and teachers can use to help their children uh, really avoid the deception behind these transgender arguments. Well, some of the things you can do is ask the right questions. Suppose your kid comes home and says, Mom, Dad, I'm trans. First thing you can't do is freak out. Don't freak out. Say, hey, thank you for telling me. Can I ask you some questions? Number one, what do you mean by trans? What does that even mean? Number two, um, how did you come to that conclusion? Why do you think you're trans? Oh, it's because you have a feeling. Uh, Third question, do feelings always tell you the truth? 
Well, actually, no, they don't. Sometimes they don't tell you the truth. And be, I mean, if you followed every feeling you had, you wouldn't be alive very long, right? Um, thirdly, do feelings ever change? Because, you know, last month you weren't trans, now you are, according to your feelings. Uh, those feelings change. Do you think they might change again? And you know what the evidence shows, Jeff? That 80% of kids who experience so-called gender dysphoria, and much of that, by the way, is social media-driven today, 80% of those kids, by the time they hit 18, have grown out of it. They're back to their biological sex. So it makes absolutely no sense to do anything other than wait in terms of any of these sex uh, uh, hormone blockers or sex change operations. That's not the solution. The solution is to get them counseling and wait not to do any of these crazy things that unfortunately the Biden administration wants us to do with this misnamed gender affirming care. So always ask questions like, well, why do you think you're trans? Do feelings always tell you the truth? Do feelings ever change? Do you think your feelings may change again? And by the way, have you looked into the evidence of people who have tried to do sex change? Do you know the kind of horrors they experience when they do this? Because they probably haven't read about it. Now, we have a book called Correct, Not Politically Correct about same-sex marriage and transgenderism that goes into all this. It's not, there's not a bunch of Bible verses in there. This is just a, the natural law medical case against both same-sex marriage and transgenderism, showing that neither are good for individuals or society. So if you, mm-hmm. you want to learn more about this that you can even give to a non-believer, check out the book Correct, Not Politically Correct about same-sex marriage and transgenderism. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, the article comes from some of the content from that book. Uh, listeners can get that at the, the website crossexamined.org. Once again, crossexamined.org. Frank, thank you so much for helping us navigate these issues today and especially for giving parents uh, some good tools to help talk to their children. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it. God bless. Every good parent wants to protect their children. We want to prepare them for the challenges that they face in the world, whether it's in education or employment or in family. And especially as Christian parents, we know that the world is filled with deception and spiritual darkness. Joining us is Jordan Shambly. He's a staff writer for The Stand magazine. And uh, in this current issue of The Stand, uh, he has an article titled, Big Lies Our Kids Are Hearing. Jordan, welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having me. Let's get right into it. What are some of those big lies that uh, our children are susceptible to? Well, the biggest lie, I think, uh, that is that is sort of a cultural phenomenon uh, today, and what I tackle in the article, is the lie of the transgender ideology. So mm-hmm. the idea that um, our bodies don't belong to God, they belong to us, we can do with them whatever we want to, and depending on how we feel about them, we can redesign ourselves. We can cre- recreate ourselves in an image that God didn't create us in. So that is a lie that has been sneaking in uh, into media that children consume and into the classrooms and uh, through their peers. It's a very um, – it, it can be something that's easy to miss if your kids aren't uh, open about these things, mm-hmm. if they're not asking questions, if they're getting all their answers from another place. And that's why parents really need to be vigilant about what their children are listening to. Yeah. You mentioned education. You mentioned a lot of other things, but you, you keyed on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, how important is social media 
in the life of, I would say, an adolescent, but you would even argue that maybe even younger than adolescents, yeah. social media begins to, to creep into their... What about that? Yeah, well, uh, parents uh, today, especially I feel like younger parents, like to um, hand their children a tablet, you know, okay. to keep them quiet on a car ride or whatever. And from there, if you're not careful, um, you know, you could say, well, I don't have, you know, Facebook or Twitter or Instagram on my phone. Well, there's other ways to see things on your phone that you need to be aware of. So I recommend not having a screen that a child can take away privately mm. into a room that you can't, that you're not aware of, that you're not, you know, in the know of what's going on because um, there are people online and this is, a, this is a fine thing. They're, they're called influencers and a lot of them are just, you know, making content that's just for entertainment. But many of them actually are a part of this transgender agenda and they are pushing that on their viewers, uh, whether or not they're targeting kids, that's up to, for debate. Um, but the fact is that kids find these people are mm -hmm. entertained by their content. And as a result, they get this messaging. Um, there's also uh, over social media, there's this pressure to not be the bad guy because our kids see on social media if someone voices dissent towards this ideology, okay. they're immediately shut down. They're, they're a pariah to social media. And so kids are trained to not want to do that, not want to be that bad guy. So they capitulate to those ideas at a very young age. And it sort of flavors the whole situation to, you know, people who deny that transgenderism is a good thing or is a healthy thing or a normal thing. Those people are closed-minded and ignorant, but the people who are open to it and, and accepting of it, they're enlightened. And so there's a definite skew on uh, social media platforms, um, depending on the, the, the community you're looking into, that skews this whole perspective. You, social media is such a big influence in the life of young people, as you've said. How much of this is peer pressure? I think a lot of it is. I think, again, when a kid sees uh, their peers online responding to this issue a certain way, they can think, well, if I want to fit in, I okay. have to think of it this way. But also, you know, uh, going back to the, the influence of influencers, um, a lot of influencers see a boost in popularity when they come out as fill in the blank if they're transgender or bisexual or whatever that happens to be for them that draws attention to them they get a lot more clicks online a lot more views and uh, they succeed at whatever they're doing because they've come out of the closet in one way or another and so for for more impressionable kids they can see this as a way of becoming the cool kid the popular okay. kid we, we you become a symbol of something that's sort of rebellious and countercultural, even though it's not really countercultural. And it can be a temptation to, you know, let a little bit of that into your life to kind of fit in with those more popular people. Talk about one of the lies um, that you wrote about in this article. Uh, your body does not matter. After you die, you will be pure spirit, eternally disembodied. Is that really a philosophy that, that you see as working its way into this transgender ideology? Uh, yeah, well, for, on one hand, on the non-Christian side of things, definitely there's this idea of materialism that, you know, there's nothing beyond the physical reality that we exist in. So once you die, you're dead and okay. whatever you did with your body, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you enjoy your experience while you're alive. And then when you die, it's over. Yeah. Um, but on the Christian side of things, there has been um, for many, 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 many decades, this idea that has sort of plagued the church that 
um, rejects the notion of the resurrection or just completely ignores it. And it's the idea of, well, once I die, I'm going to go to heaven. You know, I'm going to exist as this disembodied spirit in heaven for all of eternity. And it just conveniently forgets that, no, one day there's going to be a resurrection of the dead and you will exist in a physical glorified body that's a very physical reality for all of eternity. And that's your eternal um, destination. So it does matter what you do with your body. Your body is something that God, God does care about and it's important enough to him that he's going to resurrect it for all of eternity one day. So that really needs to flavor how we view transgender ideology and our response to it is not just that it's against God's design, but it's also a sin against a body that God intends for a glorious resurrection one day. Okay, here's the question. Who owns your body? I mean, mm-hmm. I'm playing off of one of the lies that you wrote here. Yeah. You can do whatever you want with your body. That gets to the issue of ownership. What mm-hmm. do you say about that? Well, I mean, on one hand, in America, we, we do have this idea of bodily autonomy that, you know, what you do with your body, you know, generally speaking, is kind of your business. Um, you can make decisions about it. But on the spiritual side of things, we as Christians understand that there is a truth kind of beyond that where your body doesn't really belong to you. It is the property of God. It's not the property of someone, another human, another man or another woman. It is the property of God. And so when we do things with our body, whether that's you know, uh, making surgical alterations to it or we're going into even just taking care of it. These are questions that we need to wrestle with in light of the fact that God created the body and it belongs to him and um, we need to honor him in those decisions. I like one of the the phrases that you used in the article, uh, our bodies are doubly his when we are Christians. Uh, you say here that you are not only owned by God because you're a human being, but because you are his child mm. through faith in Christ. You are doubly his. Yeah. And, and I think that that's something that could be explained to a child who's a little older mm-hmm. who has expressed faith. Exactly. And, yeah. And the, these ideas might appear to be pretty complicated, yeah, that you would want to save for a later conversation maybe with a preteen. But I do think that even for younger younger children, the idea of being made by someone is is pretty simple to grasp. I mean, they create things, they make things, they draw pictures, they make works of art, and those things belong to them. And so you could draw a a parallel that you, this child, is a work of art of God, and it belongs to him. And and it has value because it came from God, Mm -hmm. not because of anything that they could achieve in life or how they look or how they feel about their body, but the value that their body has it lies in the fact that it is a creation of God. And so that's really what we need to be teaching our children. Once again, the article is Big Lies Our Kids Are Hearing by Jordan Shamley. Jordan, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Coming up next week, we'll talk with Patty Garibay. She's the founder of American Heritage Girls about biblical womanhood and helping young girls see their value according to the truth of God's word. We hope you'll join us. The Stand Radio is a weekly roundup of important matters concerning our culture, our faith, and our families. You can get a more in-depth look at today's topics at afa.net slash the stand. You can also sign up for a free six-month subscription to The Stand magazine. For questions or comments, email us at thestand at afa.net. And podcasts of this program are available at afr.net slash podcasts. Until next time, I'm Jeff Shambly. Thanks for listening.